You're most welcome. Well, God is good even in the midst of hard times. Um, We'll be talking about that here next week. Um, What does it mean to be faithfully present? Um, We'll be talking about that next week. But this morning, um, real quick, I just want to clarify something. If you notice, if I'm talking to you and you say, well, pastor's got a fat lip. I don't want you saying pastor was in a bar fight last night or something. No. Uh, In our house last night... um, it was the Buckeyes versus the Bears, and my son need me right in the mouth, and now I've got a fat lip, and I just, you know, I'm sure some of you are wondering about pastor's behavior outside of the church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but this morning, we are in part two of this series called Presence, and if you were with us last week, uh, we, we talked about what does it mean to be shaped by stories? Where do we find ourselves in God's story? And, and if you remember, I'll ask you this question at the end of the week, or at the end of the sermon, I've asked you, are you following Jesus? Simple question, but it's a good one. And so today I'm going to follow it up with a different question, but we'll get there in a minute in due time. This morning uh, I've entitled my sermon, Radical Presence. Radical Presence. Some of us have yet to figure out what it means to be radically present, uh, because although we are present in most of our lives, uh, what I've come to see is that we are culturally absent. We, yes, we are present around in our jobs and, and in the workplace and our families, but have you noticed, I just go out to eat and I watch people, and they're so absent it's not even funny, as they pull out their phones and, you know, we took our kids to Buffalo Wild Wings this week. I love Buffalo Wild Wings, but i got to admit, one thing I really don't like is that they give you their, your, your kids these tablets. And my boys are really not interested in talking to us. They just want to go because they get to play with the tablets. But once again, I'll, we'll eat dinner, and we make them put it down when we start to eat. But you try to ask the kid a question. You know, well, how, tell me about your day. How was school? And they're like not even talking to you. It's just like they're playing zombies or whatever. And so this morning, I want to think about what does it mean to be radically present? And uh, there's one little, one little idea that we're going to be working around that, that will help us become present in our daily lives and in our relationship with, with, with Christ. And so we'll be going to be talking today about this idea of margin. Many of us need space in our lives, but, but here's what our lives look like. I'm going to try to do a little, little um, illustration. If it doesn't work, I'm sorry. Uh, not, you know, usually my illustrations as a youth pastor, pastor didn't work, so. But we'll try this today. Uh, each of these pieces of paper represents part of our lives. And so, uh, we'll just do this. We'll just use my life as an example. Uh, as you know, um, I'm married. Uh, so this is me and this is my wife, Janelle. And when we first got married, uh, we had jobs and we were, you know, working a lot. We were rarely ever home. But as you know, we do what newlyweds do, right? You come home and, um, you sit on the couch, watch TV, and fall asleep. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, newlyweds are really obedient to God's command to fill the earth. And if you know what happens, filling the earth actually means that you have, you know, kids come out. You know, you have kids. And, and so, next thing you know, you have kids in your life. And kids develop these schedules. They kind of grow into their own. They kind of grow up. And, and they start to have their own schedules and, and activities that they do. And so we have school schedules. We have sports activities. We have musicals. We have all those things. And those things start to pile up, right? They, they start to add up as we do those things. And... And then I think about you who serve in the church. Now, if you know anything about church, it's kind of like work. Uh, 20% of people do 80% of the work, right? 
this is a, a plug here for those of you not serving in the church, now is the time to step up, kind of help out those other 20%. But sometimes, you know, church is supposed to be that space away from, from the week. And oftentimes, those of us who serve in the church get exhausted because we're constantly in meetings. we got SDMI meetings, board meetings, staff meetings, then we got to go teach Sunday school class. And so if you know, that kind of adds stress to the week, right? And if you have houses, you have these wonderful things called mortgages, right? And what I love about, think about this, we spend a lot of our, our time not in our house, only to pay tons of money for it. And, and that really adds stress because you have bills and, you know, and, and as you get older, you kind of have physical problems. And have you been to the doctor at all lately? Did you know they actually charge you to, to, to see them? And it's outrageous amount. Sorry if you're a doctor in here, but a $150 visit for 10 minutes is not worth it. I think I'd rather just suffer. Uh, no offense. But but all that stuff are, starts to add up. And I think in many of our lives, we kind of see these our lives as these nice, beautifully packaged, uh, perfect lives. And we would call it successful, right? We would say that we're per- this is what success looks like. And we walk around and we make sure that we keep it nice and neat and orderly. And we try to use our iPhones to keep us organized. But the funny thing is, is I think people on the outside looking in at your life, this is what they see. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, just walking around and you, you, you can't keep it together. And we're constantly on the move. I think many of us have yet to figure out what it means to create space and margin in our lives. And so I want us to think about what is margin. And I've heard a great definition from a pastor who said this. He said, margin is the distance between our current pace and our limits. This, he said, margin is the distance between our current pace and our limits. Now, the funny thing is, is I know most of us know when we're maxed out when it comes to other things, right? How many of you like to work out in here? How many of you don't like to work out, right? My guess is if you don't like to work out, you probably wouldn't go to the gym, stick 500 pounds on the barbell and try to bench it, right? You wouldn't do that. You know your limits. Some of you like to walk or run. My guess is, you know, you wouldn't, if you walk a mile a day, you wouldn't set out running for 20 miles for that day. You just know your limits. You wouldn't do it. Some of you have picked jobs that you are gifted in. right? Why would we pick a job that we aren't gifted in? You know, I picked a pastor. I just chose to be a pastor because I couldn't do anything else. So you work two days a week and it's great. So <laughs> Dan. But a lot of us choose jobs that we're gifted in. Same with you students. We're students in here, right? Don't you pick extracurricular activities that you're gifted in, right? If you're not gifted at chess or have never played chess, why would you join the chess team? If you've never picked up a ball in your life, why would you play an athletic activity? I mean, these are just things that we realize. We realize that we have limits to who we are as people and what we can do. But the funny thing is, is we miss out on what it means to create space in our lives. And we don't even recognize how maxed out we are in our own lives. We know our limits in certain areas, but when it comes to taking a real hard look at how busy we are, we don't want to recognize that. We think we could just keep pushing the limits further and further and further, and the truth is, is you can't. You can't do it. And so for many of us, margin is really just an idea. It's something that's not even practiced in our lives, which I think is extremely, extremely dangerous. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a story from Luke, and we looked at Luke a couple a couple weeks ago, but but again I love Luke because Luke is again an outsider. He's not one of the one of the guys. 
And Luke really set out to, to create the most historical, accurate account of Jesus' life. You can only imagine the rumors and stories about who Jesus was. I mean, think about this. This guy was born of a virgin. Hello. That alone is a statement in itself. He was born of a virgin. Then he claimed to be king. That's pretty radical. You know, when you say Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, that's a huge statement, especially in that day. And then he died, which is probably fairly normal. That's what they expected. But then he resurrected. And so we're thinking about, as Jesus, these stories are being told about who Jesus was, my guess is there were probably some, some tales that probably weren't so accurate. And so Luke sets out on this journey to, to detail exactly what happened. Right? And now, now Luke's story is not kind of in a succinct or uh, like, a, like a historical timeline and how things happened. Luke kind of just pairs stories together throughout the, the book. And as I said, I think the main point for Luke is that he is an outsider. And so Luke is really trying to tell people, you know, you spend all your time trying to be on the inside, trying to be part of a group, right? That's what we spend most of our lives as Americans, right? We've been told that we can have whatever we want, that we can pursue happiness. And so we do all these things to accumulate more. And I think the American life can be... uh, Pared down to these three words, power, prestige, and prosperity. And so we, we do all these things to gain prestige, prosperity, and power. And all of a sudden, when we gain those things, we feel like we're in. We're in the in crowd. But Luke tells us, and we're going to see the story today, Luke, story after story, begins to tell us that Jesus is not interested on the people who've already got it figured out, those who are on the inside. Rather, he is he's trying to tell people what it means to live radically different than the culture. And so this morning, as we look at this story from Luke, I want you to hear, you, face value, we may not get it, but there's some radical presence going on here. And so in Luke 10... Uh, Verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha had opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That's important. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Please tell her to help me. So I envision uh, Jesus and his entourage are getting ready to come over, and Martha and Mary, or I should just say Martha, is preparing the house for this big, this big dinner. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. That's kind of the way I see it. I don't know what your house is like around Thanksgiving, but growing up in my house, Thanksgiving was extremely busy. Uh, you know, we'd go to bed at 10, and my mom would be up at 2 in the morning. She'd be sweeping and cooking and getting ready, and my sister every year, would go down and unplug the, the vacuum at 2 in the morning and just yell at my mom, and she'd plug it back in and go sweep in it again. But if, if you know anything about Thanksgiving, it's a busy time, especially when you're the one preparing the meal. It's not a time of relaxation. It's not a time of enjoyment. Rarely do we get to enjoy our families if you're the ones preparing the meal, right? Because you're so busy getting ready so everybody can have a good experience. And so I envision Martha is running around, and she looks over, and here's her sister Mary, just hanging out with Jesus, sitting at his feet, just relaxing. It's kind of like, 
you know, on, on Thanksgiving Day, I'm sitting in the recliner watching a football game. I could be in the kitchen, but no, nah, I'm, I'm here watching football. And Martha's looking over, what are you doing, Mary? And Mary said, oh, I'm just hanging with Jesus, just hanging with... No, it wasn't like that. Martha, I love how Luke puts it. Mar- Mar- he says, Martha was distracted. Now, there's this beautiful Greek word called perispato. Now, this is kind of important because it really defines what's going on in, Mar- in that moment with Martha. Y'all say that word with me, perispato. Perispato, you got it? Perispato. Here we go. The interesting part about that word is that it, it's, it's passive. And it really means to be driven about mentally. And so hear this. Martha isn't choosing to be distracted. She isn't wanting to be distracted. But the situation that she finds herself in causes her to lose control of herself in many ways. She's being mentally driven about. And and the best way that I can liken this is parents out there, right? Parents, we have the goal to be kind and loving and gracious and extremely patient with our kids. But here's the truth. When your kids start to act up, patience kind of goes out the window rather quickly, right? Next thing you know, we're yelling at our kids, and next thing you know, we're saying things we didn't mean to say, and you're being mentally driven about at that point. You've lost control of yourself. And so Martha, in some sense, has lost control. And she's extremely frustrated. And so we can get caught up in the fact that Mary's not helping Martha. But what I really want us to understand is this, is that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now some of you say, great, that's, that's great, you know. Okay, I know, I know what we've got to do today now. Here we go. No, 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 you get to see what's going on culturally. You see, at this time, during, during this time, any woman who was found with a bunch or a group of men would have been totally disgraced. She was ex- really just disgracing herself. You see, at this time, there was kind of this front part of the house where people would congregate for meaningful conversation. And if that room was filled with men, women were not allowed. And so in the back, you would have the kitchen and these kids' rooms. And so kind of women and children were kind of the least of these, and they were really never to be found in the front where all these men were having the important conversations about football and, you know, the important things of life. And so women were supposed to be in the back cooking, and there was, the kids were supposed to be back there. And the only time that men and women actually would, would kind of mingle together were in the front yard, outside, or in public, or in the back room. And that was it. But they would never be seen together in this front room. And I I can't really explain to you. Last time I explained it, when I preached this sermon before, I got in trouble. So I won't won't say it now. But she is disgracing her so... Just so much so that that, uh, what she's doing is pretty risky. Uh, It's scandalous in many ways. And so I can see Martha has got to be really frustrated with her sister. Because not only is she not helping, but now she's disgracing the family by hanging out with this Jesus guy and with a bunch of men. It's not a good situation. And so she comes up to Jesus and she begins to plead with him. Now I think Jesus is kind of a cool, calm, collective guy. You know, he's just easy going and maybe I'm wrong on that, but... She says, I need some help, Jesus. I need some help. And he says, Martha, 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 just wait. 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Now listen to this. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha is thinking that what is really important at the time is that she prepare this meal for Jesus and make everything perfect. But Mary, on the other hand, begins to go against the grain of culture. This is a radical move. And she finds herself radically present at Jesus' feet. And you wouldn't sit at Jesus' feet because he was some kind of rock star or he was cool or he was like, you know, One Direction or Justin Bieber or whatever. No, 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 no. She was sitting at the feet of a rabbi, which meant this. If you were to sit at the feet of the rabbi, that meant that you wanted to become a rabbi. That you wanted to begin to live in the ways that... Well, she's wanting to live in the ways that Jesus has called these people to. And so when many say that she is sitting at the seat of disgrace, really she's sitting herself in the kingdom of God, to become a messenger of new life and redemption. She's soaking it in on what it means to become a person of Christ. It's probably God calling you. You should answer that. (laughs) And so I want you to think about this. For for some of you, um, it's hard to remember one, you know, multiple things. So let's just do this one. Here are my thoughts for today. I think radical presence requires cultural absence. I think radical presence requires cultural absence. And I think if we want to create margin in our lives, when we create margin in our lives, I I think this, creating margin creates opportunity for God's created purposes. Hear that now. Creating margin in our lives creates opportunities for God's created purposes. And so I think to be radically present means we need to find ourselves absent in some other things. Let's be honest for a minute. For many of you, this hour will be the only hour that you sit at the feet of Jesus this week. Am I right? What is shaping you as you go throughout your week? You know, what we do this morning is just a small part of what happens throughout the rest of the week. In fact, there has to be continuity between what we do today and what happens throughout the rest of the week. And if there isn't, there's a huge problem. So what are some things in your life that you need to take absence, a leave of absence from? Did you know that the, uh, this is kind of just an average statistic, but in one month we spend over 230,000 years on Facebook? That's in one month. Do you really need 700, I mean, come on. Facebook people, do you really need 700 friends? Do you have time for 700 friends? No. You know, my wife will say to me, she's like, oh, somebody just friended me and I don't know what to do, you know or she's, somebody put this post on my, on my wall and I don't like what it's saying. I'm like, 
You know, you could solve that problem. Just, just don't have Facebook. It's pretty simple. My life's pretty easy because I don't have to worry about people don't friend me or if I don't like somebody's status, whether if I delete it, they'll be offended or I don't have to worry about any of that. You know, and some will say, well, you're culturally irrelevant. In fact, I had one, somebody tell me, oh, we couldn't hire you because you're not on Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if, if being part of Facebook is a requirement, uh, I probably don't want to be at your church. But I'm thinking about, we have become people literally who walk around. Have you ever walked around the zoo or whatever? Just like this the whole time, you know? We live in our phones. We are absent from culture. I think we're absent from the things that God has really called us to do. Again, creating margin creates opportunities for God's created purposes. And so you're saying, well, Brad, how do, how do you focus on that? How do I do that in my life? Listen, you know, my friends, where you are maxed out. You know some things that you should say no to. You know, when Carter was playing baseball one year, uh, we had some makeup games. And of course, those makeup games happen on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, which are not really convenient. But we just set out from the beginning to say, on those nights, we will either be at church or, you know, we we'll just, that's what we're going to do. And I remember people saying, I remember one of my buddies said to me, he said, well, you know, as they get older and they have those events and stuff, you know, you're just going to have to give in. There's no way that you can actually live in this culture, in this society, by skipping out on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. And I'm just saying, I don't know how you do it. You're so busy, my friend, that you can barely even breathe. So, so here's the, the one, the verse that has kind of honed me into seeking out what's most important. And many of you know this verse, but this has kind of been my life verse. I don't believe in life verses, but I have one. Um, <laughs> and it's just Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now you'll learn that I love kingdom language. I love this idea of the kingdom of God and I'll, I'll break you in on that later. But, but for this morning, I want to focus on righteousness. And how does righteousness really help us out with margin? That doesn't make any sense. I've heard some really good definitions of righteousness, and I've heard some really bad definitions of righteousness. But for me, righteousness is nothing more than right relationship. Hear me say that. Righteousness is right relationship with God and with others. You see, Jesus, God has made a way for us to be present with Him. He, he, he kind of was this God who was unknown, and all of a sudden he sends his son who dies for his sins, this chasm that was kind of, we had this huge gap between us, and now he's bridging that, and he's begging us to be part of that. But listen, my friends, you have the choice to choose whether you want to be part of that or not. You have the choice throughout your week whether you want to be present with God or not. You get the choice. That's how we know God loves us, is that he gives you the choice. And so my question is, are we really in right relationship with God? And the question that I want to follow up with, are you following Jesus, is are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Oh, you got to ask yourself that question. Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? See, the culture tells us that we should be like Mary in the kitchen, being busy, being distracted, doing all these other things, filling up all our time so that way we can be successful in life. Meanwhile, we miss out on what we're really called to. We miss out on what we are created for. 
I think we were created to to love. I think some of you were created to be parents. So what does it mean for you to be a good father, a good mother? Does it mean packing your student schedule, your kids' schedules? Does it mean packing your schedule? Where you don't even have time together? What does it mean to to be present or, or doing God's create living out God's created purposes for you at work? Has the work become more important than the mission of, of God? Listen, I'm going to tell you now, morning times are really sacred times. I've been struggling to get up lately. I don't know what happened with, with the movement. I was in a good rhythm, and then I got here, and I can't seem to get up. But I'm going to get back into it. But mornings are kind of this sacred time where we get to align ourselves with God in the morning, and we kind of get in rhythm with, in, with Him. And, and that's really where we need to begin to sit at the feet of Christ. And I'm telling you now, if you aren't sitting at the feet of Jesus, wanting to be more like Him, trust me, you have no problem becoming like everybody else. It'll be easy. So my challenge to you this morning is, where in your life do you need to create margin and space so that God can move in and begin to shape who you are as His people? Where in your life do you need to create space that God can speak into your life and show you where you need to be extending His grace and His love to those around you? Where do you need to create space so God can allow you to be part of His mission, His redemptive mission? I am guilty of it. Between meetings and all these other things that we do throughout the week, at the end of the week, I could sit back and say, I didn't do one thing for the glory of the kingdom. That's dangerous. Extremely dangerous. I asked our staff last week. We had our first staff meeting. It was a fun one. But I think staff meetings, and I think meetings, and and the board will find out. They don't know yet, but I'm going to tell them when we have our board meeting. So if you're on the board member, here you go. What I find interesting about meetings is we like to talk about all the things that we're doing. And I'll be honest, I like, I like that, but it gets kind of boring. Because it's like on September 15th, we're going to be doing this. On September 20th, we're going to be doing this. And I think God is more interested in stories. So I said, let's just get rid of all the the, the, the reports that we have to do and just talk about what we did in the past and let's talk about what is happening, what is going on, what stories are important, where is God changing lives? And so, as people of this church, let me ask you to just mentally each week fill out your own report. Are you filling out just a to-do list or events thing that happened? Or you can literally sit back and say to yourself, no, 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 there There was a time where God was moving. And this is a great story. And I want to share that with somebody. Do you have those moments? Do you have... Would you have a moment to come and sit in my office or meet me for coffee and say, I want to tell you what God did this week. Dan's story is a wonderful example. Prayer. Prayer. The power of prayer that... 
We have, we have postured ourselves before God in such a way that we're saying, this is only in your hands, can you take care of this? And now we have a story that, that God is healing somebody. What a powerful story. So that is my question for you. Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you making space and time for that? And can you look at, back at your week and instead of listing things that you did, could you give me a story about where God has been moving in your life or somebody else's? That's the goal. That is the Christian life, becoming more like Him. That's my hope for you. Let me pray for you this morning. And then we'll say our final prayer together. Lord, we give you thanks this day for your goodness to us, for your graciousness. Lord, we need more of it as we figure out in our lives what needs to stay and what needs to go. Lord, I pray that as your people, we we can become radically present, not just in relationship with you, But as we go throughout our days, may we be attentive. May we be alive. May we be focused on the people around us and what it is that you're trying to do. Lord, help us find some margin and space this week. Lord, help us to be on the lookout for where you are on the move. And may we give testimony and witness to the good things that you're doing. It's so easy to overlook those because we're so busy. But but Lord, let's take time to celebrate the things that You're doing. May our stories impact others' lives. May people be drawn into You. And may they find that You are a loving God who wants nothing more than to call us Your people. Lord, we love You and we thank You for this day. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you all stand with me, we'll say this prayer together. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. And where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great day. Hey, buddy. Guess I should turn.